I just like having an entourage. My wife makes fun of me. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, do you want to go to the store? She's like, we only need one thing. You're fine. I'm like, I just don't like to go by myself. It's very lonely in that five-minute drive. Please come with me. So I was like, Tony, Richard, hang out with me, please. Like, I'll put stuff on the table just so you'll hang out with me. Like, don't make me walk for that five seconds alone. But no, uh, I appreciate them. They're awesome. Uh, I think of like the verse in Romans where it talks about strength being for service, not status, right? And so Tony works out so he can carry this table. Richard comes so he can carry this rope and umbrella. You know, you never know, it might rain. So it's really good. So make sure you love on those guys. But today, we're going to do things a little bit different if you haven't caught on. Typically, what I love to do is choose one passage out of the Bible, and I'll, like, go really deep into it and tell you all the history and all those things. It's going to be a little, uh, a little different today because we're going to talk about something un- uh, untypical. So we're going to talk about it in an untypical way. Does that make sense? So today we're going to talk about finances, and you guys are like, yay, money, like let's do this. It's funny, money is one of those things that we're all passionate about. We all like have very strong opinions about our money, but nobody likes talking about it. You know what I mean? Like nobody likes saying, hey, I'm having a hard time, I'm having a good time. Like no one likes talking about money, even though money is kind of something that makes the world go around for all of us. And so today I'm going to talk about a number of passages, and I'm going to pull out some points, but I think that it's important for you guys to know this, number one. I am not a financial expert. In fact, I failed my economics class in high school. This is why this is good news for you. I'm not going to tell you my opinion on anything because you should do the opposite probably of whatever I say. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And we're going to talk about what the Bible says. And hopefully what the Bible says is not only encouraging but helpful for you this morning. Amen. And we're going to talk about why when we do those things, this gives us an opportunity to love people and glorify God. Amen. So today we're going to continue the series like up on the screen that Pastor Brent started called Making Sense. It's like biblical perspective and, and uh, parables on what has to do with money. We're going to talk very candidly. I'm going to share some stories out of my own life that are kind of embarrassing, but I think you guys will uh, find humorous probably. And... Uh, yeah, it's just going to be good. So a couple of facts about money. Number one, uh, there is a difference between being uh, Jesus being your Savior and your Lord. Amen? Yeah. So there's a difference between you coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, help, and coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want to do whatever you ask. I want to be just like you. The Bible has over 2,500 scriptures that talk about either money or possession. In fact, over half of Jesus' ministries dealt with money and possession. So we need to understand that God has a very, uh, a very strong opinion and perspective on money and what God says about things work. Amen? Amen. So I brought up this cone because, number one, it looks cool. I like it. I like, uh, I used to play D&D as a kid. It's kind of like a wizard's hat. Some of you are like, man, let's pray for him right now, but that's all right. But uh, what I like about cones is cones are usually a boundary line or a warning, right? When you see a cone on the street, you know, hey, I'm probably not supposed to run that over or cross over. Cones remind us that we need to be wary. Why I like this cone is it reminds me of a term called repentance in the Bible. Now, repentance is something that we get worked up. We think it's this big thing that we need to, like, cry, come up to the altar, and, and fire's going to pour out, and we're going to get burned, and then we're going to walk away and be like, God, never again. And sometimes that's true. But in its simplest form... Repentance is simply, you're going one way, you stop and turn around and going the other way. It's changing your mind. It's seeing the error of your ways and deciding that that day, that moment, you're going to live your life differently. Do any of you know the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? See, some of our issues is that uh, many Christians today are something that I like to call over-saved. I'll give you an example. 
Today I asked Pastor Brent, like, let's not sing any songs that say, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Because as we're talking about money, I thought people would think that we're talking about President Biden and paying off student loans or something. I don't know. I just, I just didn't want to get weird. I just didn't want to get weird. But, uh, you know, there's some people that if they were farmers, rather than going around planting corn in the ground, they're going to walk around and pray over the mud saying God's just going to make it happen. See, as a farmer, yes, you should pray for God to work, but you also know that you have a responsibility in what happens. The Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. St. Augustine is famous for saying, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. So what we understand is that for our life to change, our faith has to be met with our faithfulness. When our faith and our faithfulness meet, that's where lives are changed. See, it says that those that are faithful with little in the Bible will be rewarded with more to manage, more responsibility. So today, I brought the stepladder out. One, because there was full ladders, and I'm afraid of heights, and I didn't want to ask, have you guys ask me to climb it. But because I have different steps that we're going to take to have God's view on finances this morning. It's very beautiful. I love it. It's very nice. Okay, so this morning, I have five tips for you about how to have wisdom in your finance. See, these, uh, these won't change your life. I'm not telling, I should rephrase that. These won't change your life by Friday. They will change your life. They're not going to be a quick fix. They're not going to be a microwave answer. They're not going to be something that you're like, if I apply this today, by tomorrow, my life's going to be completely different. But what they will do is offer you hope and confidence. How many of you guys at some point in your life have found finances hopeless? I think if we're all honest, we've all been in that situation where things are hard and it seems a little uh, bleak. See, what hope will do is it causes us to allow not to live just for the weekend, not to live just for Friday, but to live with the future in mind. See, God's in the crockpot business, not the microwave business. He's not somebody that's going to give you a quick answer. You're going to type it in. You're just going to stand there and magically everything's different. But he's going to put you through a process. And it's going to be hot. And it's going to be painful. But it's going to bring change. See, the reason why God does this is because he doesn't want to just give us something that we can't manage well. But he wants to make us strong so when that corn is planted and the corn does grow, that we have the strength and the knowledge to know what to do with it. See, it's always a process and it's seldom a miracle because God cares about our character. So I promised and I'm going to deliver some embarrassing stories about my finances. I grew up in a super poor home. I don't want to embarrass any of my family members. I love my family. My family is very blue collar, which is something that I appreciate and I admire about my family and my upbringing is we're hard workers. I have families that, a lot of family that's been in the military, a lot of family that's been, um, that's been farmers. I have a lot of family that's been firefighters. I have family that's worked in mills. Uh, my parents are hard workers. My siblings are hard workers. My grandparents are hard workers. I really admire it, but we are blue collar to the core. Um, I actually have family members, a, a good amount, actually, a surprising amount that haven't graduated high school, and we've done okay because we just find something to do and work hard at it and prove ourselves. So I grew up with an interesting perspective. Um, my mom found herself in a really hard spot where um, she didn't get a chance to go to, to, to a lot of schooling, so she just worked jobs, and people realized that she was a hard worker and she was smart, so she'd get different opportunities. And what that meant for me as uh, you know, a kid living in a single mom's home is that we'd move a lot. She'd have to change jobs. She'd work her way up. And so we were constantly moving every couple of years so that we'd have a better life. My mom worked hard for that. She's, she's awesome that way. But because of that, I didn't really understand money the same way as other people. We didn't have a lot of it. My mom did what she could to offer what she could, and she did a really great job. I never you know, went hungry, but there was a lot of times that we 
we as kids didn't fully understand what was going on in the background. And so by the time that I was in high school and I started working jobs, I had no idea how to manage money because I have never had it before. And so because of this, when I got into high school and I started working and stuff like that, as soon as money would come in, money was gone. You know, I got a job in high school because I had uh, started going to youth group and I realized all the girls liked the guys that could play guitar. And I was like, I need one of those. I found the key to success here. And so my wife teases me that that's one of the reasons that she married me. And I was like, I know. I saw it in action. Like, it works. But I would save up money and I had this guitar that I wanted to buy. But every time I'd get paid, the money would be gone. And so I'd worked over a year and, you know, people would be like, how close are you buying that guitar? I was like, pretty dang close. Zero dollars in my bank account. Actually, probably negative $25 in my bank account. But that guitar is a common by willpower alone. So I ended up buying a guitar that I didn't even like because it's the only one I could afford with one paycheck before I spent it on something else. And so this is something I'd love to tell you only continued in high school. But to be honest, that followed me in college. Yeah, I'd get better jobs so I could, I could make more money and spend it. But it would just be coming in and going out. I never, you know, have a savings account. This is something that you guys probably think is funny because it is funny, but it's a little embarrassing. I didn't have a bank account until me and Rachel got engaged because she's like, where do you keep all your money? And I was like, in a box under my bed. And she's like, what? And I was like, I just trust myself more than the bank. And she's like, that's weird. We're not going to do that. And so um, by the time I started dating Rachel, it was super interesting. I made almost uh, three times as much as her, but I was living paycheck to paycheck and like scrounging around. And she made significantly less, but she had tens of thousands of dollars saved up. And so it made dating really interesting because when we started dating, I found more of an excuse to just blow through my money. I was like, I got to take you on a date. She's like, we went on a date for lunch. Now we're going on for a date for dinner. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. But I just blow through all my money. And uh, we hit the season where I lost my job and I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do because there was no money to fall back on. And embarrassingly enough, like Rachel carried us through a lot of that. And I'm appreciative of that, but it, it's hard when you're first married and you're like, what's going on? Like, I'm very capable, but because of my foolishness, we find ourselves in a hard spot. And Rachel over and over again in the beginning of our marriage like pleaded with me. She's like, please, like we need to figure out our finances. I'm like, oh, that's future Ty's problem. I hate future Ty. I, I set him up like, <laughs> I don't care much about him. That's his problem. Like we're good now. Let's not think about it. And she just pleaded with me and pleaded with me. And it reminded me of this verse found in Proverbs 18 where it says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. Right. Every... Every wise thing I figured out about finances, every good situation because the finances have, have happened because my wife was patient, diligent, and she prayed for me. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a wife here and you're, you're feeling like things are bleak in a certain situation in your home, don't underestimate the power of your prayers. God hears them. He's going to do awesome things through them. But um, my life looks a little different today. Amen. Thank God. But my wife was very patient and she worked very hard. And so these are some things that when we were trying to figure out what to do and, and I was like, finally got on board and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is really challenging and it's, it's hard to make this much money and not see us progress any farther. And when we finally decided, Hey, like we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a change. These are some principles that I got from the Bible that helped me. So you guys ready to hear number one? Yeah. Number one, live on a budget. Luke chapter 14 verse 28 says this. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building but couldn't afford to finish it. It's interesting, uh, even this morning I heard a story where, uh, especially my generation, younger generations, will go out and they'll buy a new car because they feel like they have the money to do it, and eventually they have to bring it back because they can't afford the payments. 
They come and they get excited. They're like, I have a down payment. I think I can do this. And eventually they find themselves lost. And it's embarrassing. People ask, like, where, where was that car that you just bought? I couldn't afford it. I had to turn it in. You know, they find better excuses. You know, I just, I just thought I'd simplify my life a little bit, find something that's more gas efficient. But in seriousness, they didn't count the cost. They didn't make a budget. Ziegler says this, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. John Maxwell says, budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Let me ask you a question. If you owned a business and you managed your money for your business the same way you managed your money for your personal self, would you fire you? Would you fire you? See, we see over again in scripture that if you are not a faithful steward, God will take away what he's given you and entrust it to someone else who will be faithful with it. We live impulsively in the society, kind of like a four-year-old running around the toy aisle, screaming and screaming, I want this, I want this, and expecting God to bless it. Can I just give you something out of scripture? He's not going to do that. That's not how God works. My daughter uh, is turning one in like three weeks. And as 11-month-year-olds do, she came to me and she's like, Dad, I think I would like a motorcycle for my first birthday. It's like, that's interesting. How did you strew those sentences together? That's really impressive. I admire that. Maybe we will get you one. But no, if she came to me and said, hey, dad, you know, I'm turning one. I've sat on your lap when you've driven down the driveway. Um, I, you know, I can kind of walk now. I got crawling down. I think I'm ready for a motorcycle. I'm going to look at her, lovingly answer her by saying, no, we are not going to do that. You are incompetent and you cannot drive that motorcycle. Let's get you a tricycle. Let's get you a scooter. Let's give you something of that nature. And as you prove yourself more um, capable, we will move you up. And eventually, maybe one day, you will own a motorcycle. Now, that's a silly story. And we, you know, haha, that's funny. A one-year-old riding a motorcycle. Maybe. We'll see. But a lot of us look to God with those kind of things. Hey, God, rain down money from the sky. Hey, God, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to handle this. And he looks at your life and he says, no, you're incompetent. Why would I trust you with something that you cannot steward well? See, God doesn't work this way. Again, he works little by little and step by step. God wants to bless us. And I'm going to tell you at the end why he wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. But God wants us to have the character to be able to live in that blessing. See, your, your skill set, your talents and everything, those will open doors for you. But your character is what's going to keep you in that room once you get there. See, the, the Proverbs... 16.9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord, he determines our steps. We can come up with all kinds of things, but it is God who controls our destiny. My second point is this, avoid debt. And a lot of you are going to love this next verse. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. The NIV is even meaner than this. It says that you are slave to the lender. See, a lot of us don't like this because it makes us uncomfortable, but it, I find it to be super true. I brought this rope up mostly because I couldn't find chains, but uh, when we put ourselves into debt, when we're stuck in payments, it's like wrapping something around our arms and being led because our life is limited by the payments that we have to make. See, I have friends all over the world, or, yeah, t- technically all over the world, that have been called to be missionaries, but they've struggled with it because... My notes are being super helpful right now. There it is. Uh, they struggle with it because they get into student loans that they can't afford to pay, so therefore they can't go on the mission field. Yeah. See, they have a calling by God that they want to follow, but because of the debt that they've put themselves in, they can't do what God's called them to do. 
How many of us have had God call us to do something we want to do? We want to go on this mission trip. We want to give to, to kingdom builders. We want to do all these things. But because of where our finances are, because of the debt we found ourselves in, we're not able to do that. Here's an interesting statistic that I found. 89% of millionaires are self-made. It means they didn't inherit any crazy amount of money. They're self-made. They did it themselves. I admire that because somebody that uh, grew up poor, it gives me hope because I'm like, hey, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. I'm not too impressed with people that were born rich or born middle class that stayed middle class. They're like, look at me, I'm middle class. I'm like, that's awesome. Your parents were middle class. They walked you into middle class. (laughs) I'm not impressed by that. What is impressive to me is people that find a way to climb up and take on something that they were unequipped to do at first, but they earned it themselves. See, when I was doing this research, I found another thing. No millionaire became a millionaire because of airline miles. That's really interesting. They didn't say, hey, I'm going to take this credit card because these airline miles are going to make a significant difference in my financial future. We were going to go to Hawaii on my dime, but now that I have these airline miles, we got it covered. No, that's not usually how that happens. See, no payment, no debt payment means that we have extra money in our pocket. When I was in college, I had a roommate who uh, was interesting. We lived in this dorm room, so there was like 10 of us. So rent was significantly cheaper. It was like 300 bucks a month. I loved it. I was like, how do I live here my whole life? This is, this is amazing. But we had a friend that uh, in college decided to get a brand new truck. He got a Ford Raptor. I was very impressed. I liked riding in his passenger seat. It was really cool. But he spent like, I think he $1,100 a month on that truck and $300 a month on rent. And I was like, bro... If you spend more on your truck than you do on your house, you might be a redneck. Like, that just might be something that's true. I was like, I hope you have no plans on getting married anytime soon because you're probably going to be living in that truck here for a while. See, we, need, we feel the need to get impressive things because we're trying to impress people that we don't even know. Me and uh, Tony, I say this every time because I like talking about it. Me and Tony go to the gym, in case you couldn't tell, every day. It's fun, every day except for Sunday. But uh, when we go, I've been kind of opening Tony's mind because every time we work out, I'll point at people and be like, hey, do you know how much those gym clothes cost? He's like, how much? I was like, that sweatshirt was like 150 bucks. And he's like, for a sweatshirt? I was like, yeah, you see that Rocks logo on the back? It's 150 bucks. And we'll kind of laugh and we'll talk because it's not the people that work out every day that are wearing these. It's usually the people that decided that week that they're going to start working out and they show up and they buy hundreds of dollars worth of gear if they've never even worked out a day in their life. The reason why we buy this stuff, the reason why we try to look cool to people is often because we have pride in our heart. We're trying to seem like something that we're not to impress people that if we were honest, we don't even like that much. Just being real, right? See, realistically, if we were to be debt-free, it doesn't cost a lot of money to live the lifestyle we want to live. Me and my wife this year, we uh, got our tax return, and we did okay this time. And so we took that money, and then right when it came in, old Ty came back, and he's like, man, we could do this, or we could do that. And my wife's like, I think we should pay off our vehicles. I was like, that just does not sound very fun to me right now. I was like, all these ideas sound way better. And she's like, Ty, Ty, I want you to think about this. If we pay off these vehicles, how much more money a month would that give us? And I was like, dude, that's like $600 a month. And she's like, yeah. And so we did it. And ever since then, I'm like, man, I feel like I got this huge pay raise because $600 more a month coming in makes a huge difference. See, driving a used vehicle, driving a car that's a little beat down, is kind of, you're kind of prideful about it when it's paid off. You're like, yeah, this hunk of junk, that's my hunk of junk. 
That's mine. And you see, now it's like so weird because I get this built in my head when I see people with new vehicles. I'm like, man, that sucks for you, buddy. Like, you're, I, I can't think of how much you're paying for that. See me in this little cracker barrel with wheels right here? We're doing just fine. We're doing just fine. See, the other funny thing, and this, this, this is just something you can, should consider, but cars lose value very quickly. See, I bought a Chevy truck, and I learned that Like a Rock, their slogan wasn't talking about how sturdy their truck's built. It was talking about how much they're worth once you buy it. It falls down like a rock. As soon as you take a new vehicle and you pull it off a lot, it's worth like maybe three-quarters of what it was before you drove it off a lot. If you try to sell it, you may get half of what you bought it for. Vehicles go down very, very quickly. See, you should have nice things, but don't let nice things have you. Don't put yourself on a spot where you can't get out of it and you feel hopeless because you have these nice things. But what does it cost? What does it cost? And I'm not talking like, what does it cost? Yes, money-wise, but what does it cost to you? Does it bring you anxiety or does it bring you joy? Does it bring you safety and stability or does it bring you comparison to others? See, you need to give yourself reason to consider your future and not just live for the weekend. When you give yourself a lot of payments and you're, and you're sitting there just wondering how you're going to be able to pay all your bills, all you're doing is making it to where you're like, oh, I just really look forward to the weekend because that's the only time I don't have to stress about everything I have to pay at work. Sometimes you get locked into jobs that you don't like and you're just sitting there suffering and you're like, my boss is a jerk, my coworkers aren't very nice, I don't even like what I do, but for some reason I started working this to have money and now I have so much stuff that I have to pay for that I'm just stuck here. See, if we want to change our lives and not just live for Friday, we've got to make some changes because if you just live your entire life looking forward to Friday, by the end of your life you're going to look back and realize you didn't live much life at all. Point number three. This one's going to be a little interesting. We need to foster quality relationships. See, Proverbs again says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. Our youth pastor used to say it like this. The companion of fools suffers harm. See, me and my friends, uh, our youth group was really into MMA, and our youth pastor was like a black belt, and we thought it was fun when we became teenagers to try to take him on. And I was crafty. I wasn't very strong, but I was crafty. So I'd be like Game of thrones it, man. I was like, I can't take this guy one-on-one, but if I get my friends to jump in, and then I just come to do the kill shot, I got this. And so he would catch on to this, and he would see, like, my friends would start wrestling with him, and I would just wait, and then I'd just grab his back and try to take him. He'd still beat us up, but afterwards, he'd be a lot meaner about it. He's like, you know, I could have beat you up just a little bit, but now I'm going to hurt you. He's like, this is why. And he'd look at my friends and nod at me. He'd be like, every time you do what Ty says, here's what's going to happen to you. The companion of a fool suffers harm. And after a couple of months of doing this, eventually my friends were like, no, Ty, we're not doing that anymore, dude. Like every time that we listen to what you say, we get into trouble and it hurts. Like literally, it physically hurts. And I'm just like, man, that verse just came to life before me. But it's true. A companion of a fool suffers with the fool. See, you become like those you hang out with. You begin to talk like those you hang out with. So you need to hang out with people that you admire and you want to be like. Here's something that was crazy when I looked up this in the study. It says that um, your income is typically the average of your 10 closest friends. And as soon as I said that, some of you were like, I need some new friends, man. I got to work my way up. See, this is what's important. I'm not telling you to be a snobbish jerk. I'm not telling you to avoid people that are good people just because you're like, uh, you, don't, you don't make the kind of money that I want to make. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you need to be around people that have integrity, that have character, 
who live the life that you want to live like. So you need to love everyone. You need to mentor people. You need to decide people. But when you're getting into your inner circle, the people that you allow to speak into your life that you spend the most time with, you need to think about that. Think about your crew and who you want to speak into your life. See, some of us, we butt up against this, but if we're parents, we know this because as parents, we say, hey, I want to be very careful on who my kids are allowed to be with. You know what I mean? When, uh, you, you know, when my daughter comes up to me and she's like, hey, dad, I want to go hang out with teenagers as a one-year-old. Maybe we'll go smoke a little weed. I'm like, hey, we're not going to do that. Like, that's, that's not going to be your friend circle right now. Like, we're not, we're not doing that. It sounds silly, but it's true. Who you hang out with is who you become like. When I moved over to Minnesota, um, I got involved with a small group, and I didn't know it when I signed up. My friends like, hey, you should just come. So I, I signed up for the small group, and when I got in there, I realized very quickly that I am very uncomfortable because I don't have a lot in common with these people. See, I, I hadn't really managed my finances at this point yet. I had just been married. I just moved over there. was a youth and worship pastor and everything. And I'm in the small group, and it's like high-level business owner. It's politicians. It's therapists. It's all these people that are talking about books that I've never heard of or read. And they're talking about all these problems of the world. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, dude, I went to Bible college. It's pretty cool. I can tell you the difference between Genesis and Exodus. Like, it's going to be rad. But I found as I started hanging out with these people, they started asking me questions that really kind of backed me into a corner but made me think. And it's because of this that I started thinking, you know, um, they're able to do things and give to things and have fun with things that I'm not able to. What's the difference here? And the other cool thing about it is it provided different opportunities because I was around them. They'd be like, hey, Ty, I noticed you, you know, take photos. Why don't you come take photos of this business for me? Or why don't you come take photos of my family? And I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And then I'd do it for a while. And they're like, have you ever thought about doing that on a regular basis? It's like, I am now. Like, that's awesome. And so when you begin to hang out and change your circle, it begins to change some of the things that you focus and think about. I'm very selective on my friends. I don't have a lot of friends my own age, I'm just going to be honest, because a lot of people my age are kind of dumb. Just, just saying it. I have a lot of friends that once they got married, they don't treat their wife and kids the way that I want to treat my wife and kids. And so I'm like, you know, me and my wife hang out with them, and I'm like, I just, I don't really want to spend a lot of time with them because I find myself, you know, not as appreciative of my family as I want to be. I, hang out, I like to hang out with people that when I say something, they call me out, and they're like, that does not sound very awesome. I want to hang out with people that are like, how are you loving your wife today? I want to hang out with people like, how are you being uh, financially responsible? I want to hang out with people like, how are you showing the character of God? When you begin to hang out with people that challenge you, that want the best for you, that are willing to have those hard conversations with you, it's going to change a lot of things in your life. It's going to change a lot of things in your life, yeah. Some of you may be asking right now, well, what if I don't know anyone like that? How can I, how can I change? I got some good news for you. Today's world is pretty incredible. You can read books by people that you like. You can listen to podcasts of people you want to be like. You can take online courses. You can follow their social media. You can join online groups. You can go back to college. You can, and here's the serious thing. You can maybe move to a new town. Now, I'm not telling any of you to move. I love you, so stay here. Be my friends. But what I'm saying is there, it's, there's something weird that when I look back at my friends that, uh, from high school that are still living in the same town, I go back and I'm like, hey, man, what's new? Not a whole lot. They're still hanging out with the same people. They're still doing the same things. Because you get caught in that circle. I think one of my favorite things about moving away from high school to college is you begin to choose friends differently. Because when you grow up in a community, you just hang out with people you've grown up with your whole life and your friends because you've known each other for 10 years. But when you move away and you start over again, you begin to make friends out of shared values. You begin to make friends out of, out of going to church together. You make friends out of, out of like things that are important to you in that moment. And not just because, hey, we've been friends for 15 years, so even though you're dragging me down, I guess we're still going to be friends. 
Here's the other good thing. I guarantee you there are people in this church that if you're looking for good friends, they're going to help push you forward. They're here. They're here. See, these relationships can be painful at times because it's painful to grow. Pastor Brent didn't know I'm going to do this, but I'm going to call him out. He said something to me uh, at the beginning of this year that was really painful for me to hear, and he actually didn't even say it to me. I was just there when he said it, and it hurt my feelings, but it was good. It was good. Uh, We were talking about movies, actually, me and Tony. We were at the coast, and we were talking about movies, and we were talking about Disney, and I was talking about how it ruined Star Wars, and I was like, you know, my life's disappointing enough. I don't need Disney's help. And I just remember everyone's face was like, whoa, that was a bit extra. And Brent's like, yeah, Ty's a little bit dramatic. And I was like, me? Oh, no, sir, I am not. But I began to think about it, and I was like, asking my wife, I was like, am I dramatic? She's like, you think? And I was like, okay, okay. So after that, like as silly as it sounds, I began to think about the way that I use my words. I began to think. Uh, so I've, I found better ways of saying it, like, hey, be a man. Don't let someone else ruin your life. Ruin it yourself. Like, I think that's a lot better. But what I'm saying is, like, sometimes the things you need to hear are not fun to hear. But if you have people that love you, they're going to tell you those things anyways, right? Point number four, you need to save and invest. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. If you spend your checks like I were, if you spend it as soon as you get it, the Bible and God himself in this verse literally calls you a fool. See, now here's the thing. You don't want to be a fool. You don't want to act a fool. You want to pity the fool. All right, come on, come on. That was good. I thought that was really good. That was really good. See, this was written by, this was written by King Solomon. And King Solomon was the wealthiest and wisest man of his time. In fact, there's a lot of people that believe that he's probably one of the wealthiest and wisest persons that ever existed in history. So when he's talking about this, you should listen. Because one, he's really wise. And number two, he knows a thing about money because he has a lot of it. And at this time, Israel was broken up into only two classes. There was no middle class in Israel. There was poverty and there was like nobles and kings. There was no middle class. And the indicator that they used to decide whether you were poor or whether you were wealthy was what you got to eat. Did you have choice foods? Did you have clean water? Did you have storehouses of things? Or did you just eat whatever was available? Mud pies, kids. You love your mud pies. Here we go. Mud pies with a side of bark dust. It's going to be real good. But no, they would decide if you're wealthy based on what you got to eat. So when they're talking about uh, an indicator of being wealthy, being stored up foods, what they're saying is these people are prepared. They have more than they need. And rather than just burning through it, they store it up in case of emergency. Another thing that they talk about here, and the verse is different in NIV. It says here, um, here it says luxury, but in NIV it actually says they have food and oil. See, an oil was a sign of God's favor and God's anointing. It was used to keep the lamps lit and the holy of holy, the place that God kept his presence. What this is telling us is that when you're rich, that doesn't necessarily make you an evil person. And if you're poor, that doesn't necessarily make you an evil person either. See, this is one of the things that drive me nuts when you're on Facebook and people are like, I got the whole Bible disproved with this one thing. It says, money is the root of all evil. Can I tell you that's not what the Bible says? Money is not the root of all evil. What is? The love of money is the root of all evil. And so having money does not make you evil. It's not a bad thing. It's not something that you should be ashamed of. But if your possessions, if your money is your God, you should be ashamed of that. There's a thing. See, I brought an umbrella up here because... One, it's just cool. Look at I me, mean, polka dots. It's awesome. And two, I think that it's important because it makes you think of what? A rainy day find. 
When you think of storing things for emergency, the first thing that your grandparents will tell you is you just need a rainy day fund. You need to save. For them, it was kind of ironic because most of them were farmers, so they actually needed a fund in case it didn't rain, like a sunny day fund. I don't know. But it just sounds better with a rainy day fund, so we're going to call it that. But let me, let me be a little more positive to take you know, Pastor Brent's thing, thing. I'm not saying you, know, you should have this in case it rains. I'm telling you you need this because I am positive that it's going to rain on you at some point. I'm positive that you are going to hit emergencies, and if you haven't, get ready because it's going to come. We all face hardships in our life. The Bible tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. It means no matter if you love God or you hate God, no matter if you're living righteously or living unrighteously, bad things are going to happen because that's life. See, maturity to me is defined like this, the ability to delay pleasure. The ability to live for what you ultimately want instead of what you can afford right now. See, wisdom gives us peace because... It allows us to have a safety blanket when hard times come. And that makes those hard times actually change from hard times into an opportunity. James chapter 1 tells us that. I have uh, friends, family alike that during the 2008 economic collapse, it wasn't as detrimental to them. In fact, it was actually a helpful thing to them. My parents set themselves up so when 2008 hit and the housing market crashed, they were able to buy a, a house for fractions of what it's worth now. They live over in Redmond and Bend area, so they have a house that they bought for a little over 100000 that they could sell for half a million right now because they were prepared when hard times came. See, there's a character in the Bible that I love. His name is Joseph. And Joseph goes before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph begins to interpret his dream. And God tells Joseph this, that there's going to be some good times, but then hard times are coming. So you take these good times, you take your plenty, and you save up so that when hard times come, you're in a good spot. And God used Joseph so that Joseph was able to take those hard times and use them to gain influence and glorify God in those situations. See, he put himself in a spot that he could bless not just his country, but people all over the world because he was prepared. He was prepared. He was able to save his family, save nations because he's prepared. And that brings me to my last point and my favorite point is we need to be generous. 1125, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You know who the people are that help the poor, who solve problems, who feed orphans, who take care of widows? Do you know what kind of people those typically are? People that have money. Because you need money to a lot of times to be able to do those things. If we're Christians and we're following the steps one through four that I gave you, it's naturally going to lead us into step number five. Because that's going to be our heart. See, here's one of the saddest things that I'm going to share to you about my financial situation before, is I robbed myself of the opportunity to glorify God and to bless others because I lived in a way that didn't allow me to have extra to give. I lived selfishly because I was unwise. If you want to begin to let money flow through you rather than just to you, you have to change the way that you live your life. See, it is both a mathematical and biblical requirement that for money to get and flow through you, you've got to have it be able to come out of you. You have to pay the bills and feed your family before you can bless others. See, the Bible says this, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own households, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Hey, Rachel, I gave all our money away to charity. That's awesome. We don't have any diapers for our baby. Hey, Rachel, I was able to bless this homeless person. That's awesome. We don't have any food on the table. 
In order to truly bless others, in order to truly be generous, you have to have your house in order. See, a lot of times people aren't necessarily selfish or uncaring. They're just unwise. And that's limited their ability to be generous and be used by God. If you want to be able to be generous the way that God calls us and wants us to, we've got to get those four steps down. If we want to be able to move past our ties, to move past just doing the bare minimum and give to kingdom builders, support missionaries, to feed people all over the world, we've got to get our finances and our house in order. That's why it's important. That's why I'm talking to you about it. I don't, I'm not talking about it because I want to give seminar, some seminar, but because I want God to be glorified and for people to be blessed and reached. Amen? See, this leads me to one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gift to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will be joyfully, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, what's that? Being generous is a ministry? That's crazy. They will, be, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for, for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Did you catch that? How amazing that is? Because of the needs that they were able to meet, because of the money they were able to give, it says that both God was glorified and people were blessed, that they were thanking God for them, that they were praying for them. If you want to see your life change, if you want to see things change all around the world for God, be more generous. Be more generous. God has given most of us the gift of generosity. God has equipped the believers to be a light into this world. And sometimes that shows up in a tangible way. See, God has called many of us to the gift and ministry of generosity, but we have robbed ourselves of this because we don't have our finances in order. During that same time in Minnesota, me and Rachel had just started getting our finances together, and we had just a little extra around the holidays that we had, you know, budgeted out, and we had, we had money set aside, and uh, we were taking our dog to this doggy daycare, which, you know, is essential. She needs, she needs to be treated well. They have essential oils and stuff. It's good for her. But uh, as we were there, and we were taking her to this, uh, they had just had these things out about adopting a family for Thanksgiving, and they had, like, local people in our city that needed help. They didn't have them by name, but just the situations and stuff, and... I looked at Rachel and I was like, I want to do this. And she was like doing the math and she's like, you know, I think we have just enough that we could help. And so it was really interesting because I kind of got a perk that not a lot of people get. And I think that God's going to use it because you're supposed to just like take the box to their address, throw it on the porch and run basically. And so during work, I, I go during my lunch break, I take the box of food. Um, I set it on the porch and right about when I'm trying to walk away, she, the wife just opens the door. And she sees it, and she's like, hey, so sorry. I know I'm not supposed to talk to you, but uh, I can't lift this heavy box. It's got a turkey and all this stuff. Will you, will you come and help lift it and put it in my house for my family? I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I, I pick it up. I walk it in, and the kids are all there and all stuff. And mom, like, pulls me aside, and she's like, hey, I just want you to know, like, I told my kids what you're doing for us, and they're just so appreciative. And the kids came up and, like, hugged my leg. and like, thank you for helping us. And mom, like, texts me afterwards as I'm driving away. Sorry, it's just so awesome. She's like, our family couldn't afford this. My husband just got a job. You guys made this happen for us. And I was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. God did this. And I, was, I just, at that opportunity, I'd tell her, I, was, I didn't do anything. God did this for your family. God sees you. God loves you. 
And we can say that with our words, but how much more impact does it make when we're tangibly able to show it? See, I wasn't glorified in that moment. God was glorified in that moment. God was given praise. God changed a life that day. God worked in my family's life, and it meant so much to me because I think of all the times when I'm growing up that my family needed help like that. And I got to move from being someone that needed the help to being someone that got to give the help. And can I tell you, it's great. It's, it's awesome to get stuff. Like, buy, buy nice stuff for your spouse. You know what I mean? Don't, don't flake out on Christmas. Be like, sorry, kids. No good things for you because it's a waste of money. Be generous with your family. Have nice stuff. Enjoy your money. But there's nothing that's going to bring you more joy with your money than helping and blessing others. Amen. Me and Rachel have this goal, and I, I was unsure if I was going to share with you guys, but I'm going to because maybe God will use it to inspire you. Me and Rachel have this goal. We're, we're just short of being out of debt. We'll be out of debt at the end of this year, we're going to save up some money for the emergency fund. But after that, we have a goal that we're going to sponsor a missionary fully, just us. Like, we're going to send someone overseas. We're going to wait for God to tell us who it is, but we're going to send a missionary overseas. And be like, hey, you don't need to itinerate anymore. We got you. And the reason I share this is because that's something that I never thought was going to be possible for me. I never thought that God was going to be able to use me in that way. But God put that in my heart a long time ago when a missionary was used in my life. And I was like, God, I want to do that. He's like, I'm calling you to do that. And now I'm at the place where God's working my life, that I'm in that crock pot, that I'm being wise and faithful. And my faithfulness is matching up with my faith. And within the next two years, we're going to be able to sponsor a missionary and send him full time. And I'm not telling that to think great of me. I'm telling you that God will use you if you will make yourself faithful. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you. With this question, how will you better glorify God through your finances? How will you let God use you in your finances? Pastor Melissa, if you'd come up. Hey, thank you, Ty. What a good word. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) So it is connection card time. So um, if you are already on uh, the Bible app, you'll see a link to connection cards. Otherwise, scan it there or there's paper ones in your seat back. Ty gave us a lot of action items this morning, a lot of tips. So we want to see which one stuck with you, which one made you cringe, which one, you know, was it about your friends? Was it about your goals? Was it about your stuff? Was it about your your work ethic level? What are you going to do this week to start to make a change? And also notice on the connection card, there's a box for University, that could be a big change. Um, we definitely want to hear if you are one of those folks who um, who answered the call to salvation this morning. We want to come alongside you. We want to hear your prayer requests. We want to hear your praise reports. So you got a lot going on on this connection card this morning. So please fill that out. we fill out those connection cards if our ushers will prepare themselves let's give this morning this morning our our giving is an act of obedience and act of worship so right now part of that step um scripture is very clear that in obedience with our finances is the way we unlock that blessing that that you know we can try to be as wise as we can with our money but if we're stealing from god we need to be careful and so this is an actual step of saying lord i've been trusting myself with, with my answers. I've been trusting myself with being able to do everything, and I'm stealing from what's yours, Lord, so I need to, as an act of faith, say, Lord, this is yours. This is this has always been yours. And next week, 
uh, we've got a really exciting message that I'm excited to, to, to preach where we're, we're really going to unpack what it means that this isn't ours, that it's his and what, what we're called to use it for. So, um, but right now let's, let's give with that, with that heart, Lord, that, uh, that we would give with joyful hearts, but also hearts to say, um, you've entrusted this to me. And now I return back to you just a portion of it that, that, that I, I show that it's yours, that I show that it's not from my uh, domain, but Lord, I am, I am returning just a portion to say, I trust you with tomorrow. And Lord, we thank you that we uh, aren't just giving to just an unknown thing, but we're giving to the kingdom, that we're giving to, to uh, your, your, your work, to, to eternal things, that we're laying up treasures where moths and rust can't destroy, where thieves can't break and steal. And so we, we thank you for it, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.